Welcome to the 11 Dubcast. I'm John Ginter. I'm here with a very special guest, Kyle Jones. Um, first of all, you might be a little surprised. No Bo Bishop. Bo wanted to be here so very badly, and he couldn't make it because instead of talking with me via uh, Uber conference and, and the internet, uh, he decided to go to a Cleveland Indians World Series game or something like that. That that I don't know. Kind of a petty reason, in my opinion, to, to skip out on a podcast. But Regardless, this is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny Ginter, and of course I am joined here by Kyle Jones. Hey guys. Uh, and the 11 Dubcast is sponsored, as always, by the Dry Goods Store at 11 Warriors. we got all kinds of great shirts, uh, hats, all kinds of cool things coming. You should definitely check it out. And if you would like to advertise with the 11 Dubcast, just go ahead and send us a, a line. It's dubcast at 11warriors.com, and we can definitely you know set you up and you can reach all kinds of amazing listeners of... Uh, the uh, the Dubcast and, and readers of Eleven Warriors. So let's start off with the obvious, Kyle. Uh, how on a scale of one to furious, how you know how did you react to the the loss on Saturday to Penn State? Um, well, when it was happening, it was one of those. It felt like you're watching in slow motion. You know, yeah. Uh, it was kind of like, wait a second, twenty-one to seven. Okay, now one bad thing happened. Okay, now we're, we're gonna be, we're gonna be all right. Wait. Wait, another bad thing happened. Wait, we're, oh no, oh no. You can just slowly <laughs> see the wheels falling off. Yet in your head, you're going, wait a second. We, we largely controlled this game. And like, when you look at this box score afterwards, it still blows my mind that Ohio State didn't win. It just absolutely, it doesn't make sense. But, you know, that's why they actually play a game and why they don't do it strictly on numbers and on paper. And it's not a fantasy baseball game. Right. So, you know, I think I, it was uh, it was one of those things that when when the field goal happened, that was really the oh crap! This is this is not gonna this is not gonna be the storybook ending. All of a sudden, things get real <laughs> tense. And I mean, even the week before, I I had been in Madison uh, during the overtime game there, and and for some reason, you just always had this feeling like, okay, Ohio State's just gonna pull this out. This is what they do. You know, the longer that game went on, the more it felt like the momentum was shifting in Ohio State's favor the more this game went on, the less you felt like Ohio State had the momentum. Right. And so that was not a, a great way to finish that game. So, um, yeah, it was, it was tough to watch that last few, that last few minutes when, um, you know, I think that the, the biggest question mark that people had afterwards was the way that Urban and the offensive coaches kind of that that four-minute drive was going to be it, um, as opposed to, okay, if this doesn't work, you know, they didn't try to hurry up in hopes of maybe getting two drives for some reason. And and I don't know if that's the right or wrong way to do it, but, you know, everyone's hindsight is twenty twenty. So, um, you know, that's what I, I think looking back and, and what you, what had really happened, you know, the defense pretty well. Um, they played pretty well. Um, Trace McSorley was 8 of 23, I believe, which is – pretty pathetic for a starting quarterback right yeah and, and yet still you know his team came out on top um you know they held Saquon Barkley largely a check he had that one long run um they didn't get as much pressure or they didn't get credited with as many sacks um but that's because I think McSorley scrambled a lot and, and a lot of his runs either got right back to the line or he was moving forward so given that this is college football they counted him as carries instead of sacks um but 
you know, when it came down to it, that offensive line couldn't get it done. And there were some real fundamental flaws in the Ohio State offense. Yeah, I, you know, you were talking about watching the game get away from the team. And it, it the analogy I was thinking of is you got a really buff dude, right? He's carrying like 10, or not 10, let's say he's carrying seven cantaloupes from his car <laughs> to the front door. And you're like, this guy's got it. This guy's got it. He's huge. He's six foot five. He's super buff. He's got it. But then one of them starts to slip. And you see that he's kind of like, <laughs> his dance starts to get a little wider because he doesn't really know what he's doing. And then about five feet away from the door, one falls out and you're like, that's it. And then they all fall down. And then one of them cracks and he's really <laughs> upset. That, it just felt like it was a team trying to juggle too many cantaloupes. And it, it you know, we've talked about this on the Dubcast before. We've talked about how they haven't won in the past few weeks in the same manner that we kind of saw them mm-hmm. dominate other teams at the beginning of the season. And yep. it looked like they were just trying to to escape with wins. They weren't trying to dominate. They were trying to impose their will on other teams. And yep. I think that makes you look weaker. And I think it also means that the other team is going to be able to take advantage of some things. If you're not firing on all cylinders, at least in a natural way. And what I mean by that is like, you know, if Ohio state has to, if they have to, push if they have to press on parts of their game that really seems like should come naturally to them that to me looks like a weakness and that looks like something mm-hmm. that another team is going to start just attacking uh be yep. it the running game or the passing game if it's not coming naturally that starts to make you think that they don't really have it and you know we're yeah. gonna, you know Kyle we're going to talk a little bit more about like the X's and O's and, and, and why it may not be working so well but mm-hmm. just while you're watching it you're kind of like cringing a little bit like this is yeah. a this isn't Ohio State football. This isn't an Urban well, Meyer offense. It yeah, looks like I mean, a Jim Russell offense, frankly, yeah. in a lot of ways. I mean, it's a, but I think that's a, an extension of this is a young team. I mean, I think yeah. this was a team that we, you know, if you had told us in July and we were looking at, you know, projecting and looking at who was filling in, and I'd said, I'd said to you, Johnny, you know what? It's going to be late October, and Ohio State's going to be seven one and seven or six and one and ranked in the top ten. You would take that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you wouldn't if I had told you, you know what? It's going to be, they're going to lose one game because a lot of young guys that are playing and getting their, you know, the first real consistent playing time kind of cracked a little bit. I mean, right. you, you I would have said, oh crap, I bet they're going to, I bet they're going to lose three games this year and I'll bet right. you $50. Exactly. That, that'll happen. And I, and I think that finally came to pass. I think the Oklahoma game, they got, they were so revved up. They believed they could win because of, um, the Houston win a couple weeks prior, you know, right. they had blown the doors off a couple teams, one of which was a Tulsa team that I think is, you know, actually pretty underrated at the end of the year. We're all going to look and go, oh, that was a pretty good team, actually. And that win might carry more juice than we, when he, than we expected. And they wanted Oklahoma hot, came, you know, played really well. Curtis Samuel on the defensive line, the kind of the known commodities played their tails off. And everybody else kind of rode off that. And then... Then you get into the teams that know what you do and they, they've seen you before and they, they know the kind of things that you try to do. And all of a sudden, those young guys start pressing a little bit more. When the first thing that you try doesn't work, they get a little scared. They get a little hesitant. They get a little, you know, they lose a little bit of that confidence. And confidence in a, I mean, 18, 19, 20-year-old kid makes all the difference in the world, right? I mean, right. <laughs> We've all been that we've been there and, and that that's imagine trying to put that on a big stage. And when you don't have confidence trying to do something, it's tough. And I think that that finally, you know, the fourth quarter in happy Valley was kind of, you know, that, that came to pass. 
Well, let's talk about that a little bit because this is the second week that Ohio State had to play a road game at night against yep. an opponent that was coming <laughs> off a bye. So Thanks, do you think that factors into it? Does that, does that hurt a team? I mean, when they have to oh, come up sure. against that? For sure. I mean, and in my opinion, being the quote-unquote scheme guy, um, <laughs> you know, I think that means just as much, if not more, than the at home, you know, the home game for a big team at night. You know, I'm, every week Ohio State's going to get somebody's best. I mean, that's, right. that's, the, that's just a matter of fact. Every time, every every team that plays Ohio State circles that game months in advance, plays you know plans for it, all that kind of stuff. Their fans especially get real revved up for it. So I, I don't think that piece is as important. Obviously, no one likes playing in Happy Valley or in Madison at night um, if you don't have to. But you know the game planning piece is, you know was huge. And you know the week before we saw Paul Christ who I wrote a piece about this, who I think is criminally probably underrated from Big Ten fans. They look at him as Burt Bielema's, you know, his right <laughs> hand a little bit. But I think, you know, we, we don't give him the credit he deserves. He's a smart pro style, which, again, isn't sexy in college football, but it works. And, you know, he had a heck of a game plan. Ohio State adjusted. They got their bearings. They they figured out how to put their athletes in a play, position to you know to, to play better. And and at the end of the day, the team with the better athletes won overall. Whereas yeah. Penn State was looking at it as this is our season, you know. And you know what? Let me, you have. Can I ask you something real quick? Because I I gotta tell you something. I was thinking about this, and somebody mentioned it either in Slack or something else. But is there a point to which Urban Meyer's offense can be figured out? Is there a point to which they say like, Absolutely. you know what, we've seen this over years and, and we know how to stop this. I mean, yeah. So, so what are they doing? I mean, what are these teams yep. doing to really prevent the Urban Meyer offense from doing what it yep. wants to do? That's a very good question. Um, I mean, that the easy answer is they're disrupting the run game on first down. Um, Penn State had a great game plan. Again, when you've got that bye week, you can, put together tendencies. Um, and this is stuff that happens every week in the NFL because there's a billion people watching film for you, you know, every single hour of the day. And right. you can put together these tendencies. College, you don't see it as much um, outside of bowl games and bye weeks. And Penn State figured out, you know, when the tight ends in a certain position, whether they're, you know, on the same side as the tailback, um, whether they're off the line, whether they're on the line, the tendencies and, you know, how they like to run the ball that way. And they slanted their defensive line in the direction of the run and stuffed it. Um, you know, no matter, no matter who you are as an offensive lineman, if you've got defensive linemen that, that are going in a direction that you're not ready for them, you know, they're not ready for, you know, they're shooting a gap to one of your sides and it's not in the direction that you want to take them, that's going to disrupt you. And, you know, that disrupts all their timing, disrupts the footwork. And there are a bunch of plays where, you know, there were read options in the backfield on first down and it, Mike Weber's taking the handoff with a, you know, Nittany Lion defensive lineman 12 inches from his face. You know, that's, that's just what Penn State set out to do. They did a great job of it. Um, Wisconsin did a good, a decent job of it the week before. It's sending their linebackers off the edges. Um, but, you know, I think you saw the Ohio State offensive line against Wisconsin handle a kind of a, a slower more physical defensive line from Wisconsin, whereas Penn State had a, a more athletic, um, you know, they were getting one gap and getting between the gaps, getting across the face of Michael Jordan and Isaiah Prince, and even the, you know, the guys like Elfline and Billy Price, 
they were shooting those gaps quick and disrupting the backfield. And now what that means is Ohio State's facing second and 12, second and nine, second and 11. And that offense, Erwin Meyer's offense is dependent on second and four, second and three, second and one, second and five. And it puts everything off schedule. Um, you know, that it, their whole game plan isn't, you know, they're, they're pulling out plays that they don't want to be using yet. Um, when you put together a game plan, you scenario plan, and you have a handful of plays for each scenario, well, Ohio State ran out of second and long plays pretty quick. You know, there were <laughs> only a handful that they could run. I mean, they ran – everyone's like, oh, I'm glad to see that, that the, tail, the tight end gets so many touches, Marcus Falk. And, okay, that's great. The reason he got so many touches because they called that daggone play 15 times. Right. You know, <laughs> I'm not kidding. The follow pivot play. We've written about it a bunch. Every Ohio State, you know, X and O guy has written about that play since Urban joined. It's one of Urban's favorites. They probably called that play follow pivot more against Penn State than I've ever seen them run it in one game since he's been in Columbus. And that's what happens. You just run out of plays. So, well, know, and that's it's a why function. the offense looked like this. It's a function of how the the rest of the team is playing as well. I mean, if you have wide receivers who aren't necessarily getting open and, you know, maybe opening things up for the running backs and there's a lot of other things that are going on with the offensive line. I, I mean, so that's actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and I wanted to get into yeah. that because a lot of heat, the two positions I think right now that are taking a lot of heat are the offensive line and the wide receivers. Absolutely. How accurate is the complaint that the wide receivers are not getting separation and therefore just not – giving JT Barrett any kind of avenues to extend the field. Yeah, I, I think that let's, you know, starting with the wide receivers, you know, I wrote a, a piece about it this week, kind of looking on TV. It's hard to, when you watch on TV, it's hard to get a good viewpoint because you know, the camera zooms in and only shows right. the backfield. So you don't usually get a sense. Um, I do love when we get these nighttime primetime games, when they've got that spider cam from behind, because it, it shows you the whole, the whole field. And what you saw was, Paris Campbell, Terry McClure, and you know James Clark, guys that play their tails off on special teams, and I have no doubt, you know, have worked their butts off to get on the field and tried to do everything right. Um, you know, poor James Clark. You want to? Everyone says, you know, why didn't you know he get the pass interference call on that last deep ball? Which good for him. You know, he did run a good route and get you know, he beat that corner down the edge. JT threw a great ball. It hit him in the face, obviously, but you know, you can't expect to catch in a big game like that. You're just going to catch a deep ball in stride, James. You know, you got to go up and attack the ball. You're a Bengals fan. You've seen, yeah. How many times have you seen A.J. Green go up and get a ball like that, right? And even <laughs> right. now, even, even, even Terrell Pryor, you know, there's a guy that's played, you know, he's been playing wide receiver for a year and a half. He goes up and gets that football. And that, I think those are the kinds of things, James, you know, those kind of guys are a little bit smaller and you say, well, that's just not what they're good at everybody's got to be good. At it. You got to try and go make that effort. And, you know, maybe it's the stage overwhelmed them a little bit, but you know, you, you got to hope and, and, and pray that these guys are able to make that adjustment moving forward. And they're more aggressive. They, they develop those techniques that Michael Thomas was a master of, you know, he was so good at using his hands to get off the line. He was so good at fighting off the receiver with his body. And, and yes, it helped that he was six, three, 200 pounds or whatever. But, you know, he had those techniques. No one ever got their hands cleanly on it. Um, and, you know, those are the kinds of things this, that the wide receivers are just going to have to develop if Ohio State really wants to develop that passing game again. Well, I think a lot of people saw Noah Brown, you know, do what he did mm -hmm. against Oklahoma and assume that, all right, that's it. New, new Michael Thomas, Devin Smith, whoever, yep. you know, yep. we've got a deep threat now. 
But most of those touchdowns that he had against Oklahoma were, you know, fades and whatnot. He wasn't, he wasn't like, he wasn't really, you know, outmaneuvering a guy. He wasn't running an amazing route necessarily. He was just doing a really good job of getting a position. And JT Mm -hmm. Barrett would throw amazing, you know, you know, balls in the back of the end zone. But that's not necessarily the mark of a great wide receiver. And I, I think... Yeah, and I, I think what they've seen in the past couple of weeks is that you can bump the guys on the line. You can do a lot of other things to disrupt the timing, like you just pointed out. And that just disrupts everything else. And it's interesting because, you know, when you've got the luxury of an Ezekiel Elliott, you can do all kinds of different things and is incredible at blocking and can and fight through all this mm-hmm. other stuff. Mike Weber, I think, is a very good running back, but I don't think he's Ezekiel Elliott. And I think well, oftentimes... Yeah. <laughs> individual guys like Zeke can cover up deficiencies elsewhere. And right now they don't have an individual player like that, an individual skill player who can cover up deficiencies in other parts of the, the game, the offensive game. So yeah, I think that's an issue. Well, I mean, well, we... I actually, I actually kind of disagree with you there. Cause there, there is okay. one guy that no matter what he's making plays and that's number four. The problem, oh, fair enough. The, but the problem is, is, He's the wide receiver that is getting open. He's the guy that's yeah. finding soft spots in the zone. He's making plays. I think he's got, you know, what, three deep ball catches for touchdowns this year, which is more yeah, than anybody like else that. on the team. But, you know, the problem, the problem is he's also the best running back. And yeah. I think you saw Urban, they had to make the decision. You know, two weeks ago in Madison, it was, oh, Curtis Samuel got all these t- – or, or three weeks ago in Indiana, it was Curtis Samuel didn't get enough touches. That's why the offense was bad. Then they go to Madison. And Curtis Samuel's the the star of the game plan. And you hear people complaining, you know, going on message boards, oh, Mike Weber deserves all these touches. All right. <laughs> so we go to Happy Valley. Mike Weber gets the touches. and But he's getting the touches because they know they've got to play Curtis Samuel at receiver. He's the best yeah. receiver and the best running back. It's hard to play him at both positions at once. And I think right now they're choosing the Eagles, which is just Curtis has to be the top wide out. So let's talk about then the, the final – component that I think people are really concerned with and that, you know, players' parents are getting tweets at and all kinds of other crap. Uh, so what is what is going on with the offensive line? Because, you know, there were a lot of instances where a lot of the younger guys are just getting abused. Some of the dudes who I think we've expected to be kind of rocks are not. Um, what What is the deal? I mean, how can it be fixed and can it be fixed, I guess, at this yeah. point? Are they just going to have to get experience? I, well, I think it's both. I, you, uh, both. It's it's experience, but I don't think that we have to look at it and go, okay, let's got let's go find somebody else personnel wise. Right. Um, you know, I, I think what you're what we saw was a huge confidence play. I think, I think they the the defensive tackles from Penn State just bull rushed the living heck out of Michael Jordan, who, if we remember, you know, five months ago was in high school. Yes. Right. He was at a senior prom five months ago. <laughs> let's so there's that's gonna happen and that's just a a man versus a a boy type situation is it going to happen every time no is it going to happen every week hopefully not um you know you can bet that you know stud and ed warner are gonna be there to you know to coach him up and make sure that he doesn't face that same bull rush again and when they slant across his face he knows how to pick him up um isaiah prince i think is the bigger concern and you know he's taught he's caught a lot of flack Taekwon Lewis has unfortunately caught a lot of flack because people don't realize there's two number 59s. Right. <laughs> right. You know, which is, you know, says a lot about Ohio state fans. So, you know, please check the roster and the position before you start hating on people. Yeah. Public service announcement. But, you know, I, I, I think that Prince was, 
he got beat inside a couple of times on some stunts, um, you know, where they brought the defensive end inside of him and blitzed a tackler an end or a linebacker on the outside. And he and Billy Price really struggled to pick that up. And that, you know, that clearly messed with him. And he lost a ton of confidence. This is also a kid that is 19 years old. I think, I think he's a sophomore, um, you know, playing in only his seventh real game. So, you know, you, you got to give these kids a, a break every now and then and realize they're going to have bad games. Yeah. And you know what? It's not, it's not the end of the world. I mean, I, I hate the fact that we lost to Penn state because I, I really cannot stand that fan base. <laughs> uh, I'm sure they're, they're busily, you know, drawing up some kind of terrible shirt right now as we speak to oh, yeah. lord it over JT Barrett. Um, mm-hmm. But, but, there are definitely some positive takeaway. I think the defense played very, very well, especially in the second half. I mean, you, you cited the, the quarterback going eight for 23, which is absurd. Um, there is definitely some very sound components of the team, but I think the youth uh, eventually is going to catch up with you in a season like this. And especially mm-hmm. with the schedule being what it is. So I'm yep. not broken up about it. I, it sucks that you lose to Penn state, yep. but that also teaches you some lessons for November. And yep. honestly, you know, I'm on record as saying that, that I didn't think this team would go anything close to undefeated this year. I thought they were going to struggle <laughs> in a lot of different ways. And I'm not shocked yep. by the outcome, but I, I want to see them improve. That's that's always been my mantra from day one. Like, I want to see a team that gets continually better. If they come out, you know, against Northwestern and, you know, the defense continues to play well and the offense looks like they have some things figured out, particularly in the rushing game. Yep. Um, and the passing game will come. I'm not super worried about but I think that's mostly related to the, the athletes they have playing wide receiver. But if they mm-hmm. can have a good offensive performance, continue the defense, uh, you know, staying hot, I'll be happy with that. And and that will be a team that, to me, has learned from some of the mistakes, uh, mm-hmm. coaching-wise as well. I mean, Urban Meyer is not, you know, totally innocent <laughs> in the yep. loss. I mean, rushing, a, a, you know, a first-year kicker out there is, you know, going for a career long, you know, with no time essentially to get set. I think it's a terrible mistake. I don't know how you do that, but I just think this is a really good learning experience. It sucks. I'm mad about it, but (laughs) I don't think it has to define the season. And we will really get to see, you know, how good of a coach Urban Meyer is going to be in the next three or four weeks, because that game against Michigan is going to loom extremely large. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, if, if both teams end up winning out um, uh, for obvious reasons for Michigan, they will have, you know, national title implications and, yeah. and who knows, maybe Ohio state will climb their way back into it by that point. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see how the season pivots on that game. Um, they could easily turn this thing around and, and go, you know, gangbusters until the end, or this could be, you know, one of those things where you have to kind of just shrug your shoulders and realize that it's a really, really young team. And I think that's the piece that, that often gets lost is everyone, everyone clamors for the backup. You know, there's people talking about Joe Burrow, which is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. And that's not a knock on Joe Burrow. You know, there's, there's so many people that there's so much talent here that, you know, they course correct just a little bit. There's so much momentum and so much talent behind it that they'll play with absolutely anybody in the country. So they can totally contend that Michigan game is going to be huge. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of huge, just to, to make sure that we are keeping our heads a little bit above water and, and you know, seeing what else the world's up to. Uh, Cleveland Indians are currently playing the Chicago Cubs right now, uh, mm-hmm. as we've kind of intimated before in the in the podcast right now, the <laughs> Cleveland Indians are up 2-0. That's big. Uh, we were talking a little bit before we recorded. I don't know how much happiness I really want the city of Cleveland to have. 
Uh, I feel that's just wrong in maybe like a kind of like a biblical sense. Like it just doesn't yep. seem like it goes like it goes against the you know the laws, the of, laws nature. of physics. Yeah, yeah, it just shouldn't happen. <laughs> I don't. I, it, it's very odd to me. At the same time, the Cleveland Cavaliers are playing their first game of the season. They're raising the banner. I just yep. you know dogs living with cats. It just it, I don't know. It just <laughs> seems really odd to me. Let's say somebody lost their job or you know the they had something really bad happen to him or whatever. And then they see their friend who's kind of been down on the luck and their friend finds $5 and you're like, God, I hate that dude. Like, I don't want to find $5. Like, I don't want Cleveland to have any happiness whatsoever, even if it's totally <laughs> deserved because Cincinnati fans have been so miserable for so long that we're just petty and mean and sad. And that's pretty much, I don't know. That's just how I feel about well, it. Well, so. that's better. Well, considering that a year, you know, until June, everyone in Cleveland was just incredibly insecure. So, right, right. <laughs> impossibly <Fair> insecure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got, you got a nose job, you got some plastic surgery, everything's <laughs> looking good. People are talking to you. Inherited a little money. You know, yeah, right. inherited a little money, you got some hair plugs. Everybody's, you know, feeling good about themselves. And I just, you know, sitting here just. As we're having this conversation, the Cleveland Cavaliers are up by 19 in the third quarter, and LeBron James is one rebound and two assists away from a triple double. So, <laughs> you know, this, <laughs> the rich are oh, getting richer. And to take nothing away from LeBron James, I love LeBron James, right? (laughs) And if there's anybody who deserved to have the kind of storybook ending uh, to that whole journey of to Cleveland and Miami and back and the redemption and all that other stuff, it's it's him. And I love it. And I'm not trying to take anything away from that. Um, I hope LeBron James, you know, I hope he wins every NBA championship until he retires. But um, that's probably not going to happen. And I'll, I'll, you know what? Some part of me will be kind of okay with that. Um, so we'll see. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we got a lot of stuff going on, uh, but we also want to get to some listener questions. So let's do Ask Us Anything. Okay, Ask Us Anything. Again, you guys can ask us anything. You can send us an email to dubcast at 11warriors.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at 11dubcast. And by the way, I have to apologize. I missed a couple of Twitter questions a couple of weeks ago, so I want to make sure that uh, Daniel Marial and Rich Burns or Bruns, Miss Rich Bruns, uh, get their just due here. So I don't, I don't want to, you know, avoid you guys and not intentionally skip you. Um, although Daniel, um, when you asked about the uh, <laughs> the Wisconsin win against Penn State in fourteen, um, I don't know that I'm quite in the mood to answer that question coming off of a loss. So. <laughs> Maybe we'll skip that one. Please ask another one. And Rich Rich also wanted to talk about uh, walk-off sacks and how fun they were, which, by the way, I actually want to talk about that briefly because, in my opinion, that's almost as cool as, like, a walk-off home run. Like, I love the idea of a walk-off sack. That's just a cool, awesome way to end a football game, maybe mm-hmm. even more than, like, a touchdown. Like, this is a badass way to, like, you're done, and then we get to leave. Like, I love that. Yeah, I mean, the – Watching it in Madison, I was I was lucky enough to be in that end zone where it happened, and uh, you know when the overtime when it went to overtime, part of me was I, I won't lie, part of me as a fan was hoping lose this lose the coin toss, you know, <laughs> not that I wanted to, not that I wanted us to you know lose and, ha- and be put in a tough dis- or tough position by you know going on offense first, but I I knew that if. Wisconsin got to choose they were going to put us and you know put the overtime session down at the student end at the other end right and a it would be tougher to play in and b I would have a worse view of the game <laughs> so you know it's totally selfishly I want to see that but um that sack when it happened the air was let out of that out of that oh, state it was just I mean it was the complete opposite of how I'm sure every Penn State fan felt watching that game you know where right. 
where their walk-off sack was an explosion. This was just a, you know, just uttered <laughs> right out. <laughs> there, there it goes. So, you know, there was it was really interesting to watch. And the only people that exploded when it happened were the high state sideline, and everyone else just kind of, huh? There it goes. <laughs> it's like God. Where do we park? Bye. <laughs> right. Time to go. Um. And by the way, so this is another one here. This is from a little bit ago, but Steve wanted to know, why are there people on the sidelines with blue OSU shirts, Kyle? Do, do you have a theory on this? Ah, uh, great question. That's a, that's a wonderful You actually question. probably the so, actual answer. I was going to say something really stupid, so I'm kind of glad that you're here. No, go, so you go first. Let me, let's hear your answer first. Well, I mean, I've got, I've got a legitimate theory, and then I've got something stupid I was going to say. I'm just going to say the thing that was stupid, which is I think they're just there as a purely like distraction device. And by the way, did you know that one in 10 adult men are, well, I guess all men, but one in 10 men are <laughs> colorblind, right? Red, green, colorblind. So maybe, maybe it's just one of those distraction things where it's like you don't know who's really doing it, and there's maybe a couple people on the team who are colorblind, and we need to have some kind of way <laughs> that they don't get distracted. Like they can identify those specific people on the sidelines mm-hmm. because they, you know, they lack the rods and cones in their eyeballs to, to figure <laughs> that out. Yeah, it is scientifically sound. Um, from a coaching standpoint, it is not. Oh, okay. so, no, it's a good theory, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and give you the Alex Trebek. That's incorrect. You're a loser <laughs> um, response. Fair Man, enough. Trebek was so mean to that poor girl last week. Anyway. Um, so yeah, the real reason, and you can probably guess is it's for signaling in place. Right. Um, it's interesting that his question was, why is there blue shirts? Cause there's, he's the guy in the blue shirt standing right next to a guy in an orange shirt and a green shirt. So, you know, the fact that he Which further lends credence to my color blindness theory. Point. Sorry. Fair point. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, that's just, I, uh, I'm going to keep plugging my own columns here, but I, uh, I wrote a piece this summer in the doldrums of, of non-college football dumb where I uh, explored the ways that you communicate um, on, on sidelines and you know everyone knows in the nfl that the quarterback's got a, a radio in his helmet actually the you know a middle linebacker usually on the defense does too so the coach just radios in uh the play call in college you don't have that so you have to communicate it in somehow there's it's given if you're aware college football is a highly competitive sport you don't want to give give it away and you usually have three calls uh coming in from those three three or four play callers um, usually before Barrett walks out there, um, to start each drive, they'll just signal red, blue, red, blue, or green is, is the live color this time. So don't pay attention to the other two guys. They're literally just acting like idiots and making fake signs. Right. Um, but you know, that's, that's there for a reason. Um, so good question. That is a good question. I, I got to tell you something, though. I get the feeling that Steve is asking this question because he's incredibly indignant that they would have someone wear blue on Ohio State sideline. I agree with that. I think Isn't that Urban's son-in-law, though? I've, I'm pretty sure. I think sure, it is, yeah. I'm pretty sure the guy they make wear the blue is Urban's son-in-law. So if anyone's allowed to wear blue on the staff, I'm pretty sure it's somebody that he's technically family with. <laughs> um, either that or he's hazing his own son-in-law I was about to say that's a real power move as a father-in-law to do that <laughs> which I would not put past him but no. I, 
I Absolutely don't know not. the answer to it. <laughs> All right. So our good friend Alvin, a uh, big time uh, listener and contributor to Ask Us Anything in the Dubcast, he wants to know, so it's midseason. Uh, what is your prediction for the top four teams getting into the playoffs, and who are the first two out and why? Great question. Who wants, you want to go first? You want me to go first? Yeah, you, go, you go ahead and go first, because I've got a couple ideas, but I'm, I'm curious about what you, what you have to say about that. Yep. Um, so the first one, I think the SEC outside of Alabama is pretty trash right now. And yes. even if Alabama slips up and loses the game in the West, I'm pretty sure they're going to clinch the Western division anyway, go to this championship game. And the SEC East is a literal tire fire this year. We saw <laughs> what they just did to Tennessee and A&M. Um, Georgia's awful. Florida's a, a, a mess. All those guys. So no matter who goes, they're probably going to just blow the doors off when they get there. So you can pretty much Sharpie in Alabama. Um, you know, I don't – no one in the world knows, can remember who's in which division in the ACC. It's kind of its own leaders and legends mishap. Um, yeah. So I have no idea who Clemson's going to play in the uh, ACC championship game. But you got to imagine that they're going to be the favorites and, and likely – um, they're going to be somebody you can expect there. They've got a ton of talent. Um, as bad as they've looked at sometimes this year, Deshaun Watson's still probably the best quarterback overall in the country. Um, but uh, they're, they're somebody I would expect. Mo- I would venture to guess that 95% of the people that will listen to this podcast have not watched them play a single down. But Washington <laughs> is legit. Uh, they are real good. They have a crazy good defense. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, obviously, Alabama's, you know, kind of a lock for this. I mean, you're right. The SEC, there's really nobody that I think is going to challenge them. ACC is interesting because while I think there are some teams that could give Clemson a run for their money, Clemson's basically already played those teams. So, you know, well, I mean, they've Mm -hmm. got Florida State coming up, right? Like, they got to play Florida State, but... You know, they beat Louisville, which is the the big one that they had coming up. And then there's a lot of other teams that, you know, maybe had a shot at them. But if they don't stumble against Florida State, I think they're in. Um, I, with you, I've actually seen several Washington games. I've gone out of my way to watch them play because, you know, obviously they've got a really good coach. And, you know, they're really just kind of a interesting team to be this highly ranked, you know, especially at this point in the year. So I mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think their defense is incredibly good. Their quarterback, who is, as you said, Jake Browning, is is excellent. Um, I think they're definitely going to be in there. <laughs> I think, honestly, I think Michigan's going to take care of business here, and I hate saying that, but I, I just uh... – I, I know. I know. It's going to give me tons of crap, and I'm always the naysayer, and I'm always you know the negative Nancy and all this other crap, but I just – their defense is really, really, really good. And yep. – I think that will give Ohio state a lot of problems unless they can really make some significant improvement in the next month. Um, and I'm not saying they can't do that, but it just, from what I've seen from Michigan, I mean, they look like the real deal. And if you're talking about the first two out, like honestly, you know, that's, that's for me as a toss up. I think Clemson is a little more shaky than the other three teams. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they're actually ranked at the end of the year and, and where the people actually decide to put them in terms of, uh, you know, their seating, but yeah, I don't know. It'll be very interesting to see what happens. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, bullish on Washington right now, simply because of that defense and the same with Michigan. I think Alabama is a little overrated due to the fact that the SEC is also overrated and they're getting a lot of credit for games that really, I don't think any, you know, top five team should struggle with that much. <laughs> um, but we'll see. I mean, I, it, you know, <laughs> underestimate Nick Saban at your own peril. So I'm not going to, yeah, 
know, I'm not going to say that this is the year that they're just going to look like trash or something yep. in the playoffs because, you know, that's that's what a lot of people said last year and then right. look what happened. Right. So, well, I mean, we're entering that time of year where, ever, according to everyone, every team sucks and nobody's played in it. <laughs> right, of course. You know, yes. You know, and we're, we're, it's picking nits and the one team that, you know, you say hasn't played anybody is, is the, are the teams that are undefeated. Right. You know, the teams that are, you know, that are still left are the ones that have, you know, they just, they've underperformed, they're stuck, you know, they're not who we thought they were. And you go, they lost one game and it was close. Right. Right. So, you know, what we know right now, we'll sit, watch us sit here in a month and go, wow, remember we all picked Washington and then they lost four <laughs> games in a row. Like yeah, that happens. This is what's, this is what's also fun about college football. So exactly right. Um, you know, that's why, I, that's why I love the fact that, people you know pour over the polls every week and make a big deal out of it when it's like look man we all look at it and see they're gonna these two teams in the top five are gonna play and we're gonna figure it out you know they're they're gonna decide it themselves not some pollster yeah this is definitely gonna be a season that comes down the last like two weeks of the season Mm -hmm. including the the championship game so i'm really excited for that uh, this from David. He says, what is your opinion on fans who never attended the school that they root for? I've been an Ohio State fan since the Buckeyes played Missouri, which is his alma mater, uh, played a home-and-home home series. Big Cat blasting Corby Jones is one of my all-time favorite plays. Uh, <laughs> as it as is mine. Yep, um, yep. I, I must have seen well, what's great about it is there's like a two-second clip on YouTube of him doing that, and I've probably <laughs> seen that about 50,000 times. Um, just putting it on a loop because it is a really hilarious tackle because he just comes completely out of frame and then <laughs> so destroys him. Um, you know what? Honestly, I, I used to be really down on people who did that. I used to be really down on people who were like, yeah, I just like the team because of their colors or their, mm-hmm. you know, their mascot or whatever, or that they're good. And I think as I've gotten older, I'm more of a more the merrier kind of guy. Like, yep. you know what? There are tons of Ohio State fans who grew up in the state of Ohio, who have been diehard Ohio State fans since the moment they were born, who mm-hmm. never got the opportunity to attend Ohio State. I'm not going to tell you that those guys aren't as hardcore Ohio State fans as I am just because I went to the college. Yep. Um, so I think, you know, whatever way you come into it, if it's honest and you just like the team and you follow it, I don't really care where you came from or what your background is. I mean, that's to me... Sport should be egalitarian, and that is the ultimate representation of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm pretty much with you there. I think the one, the one piece is, you know, why are you a fan? How did you become a fan? Right. Did you become a fan because Urban Meyer took them to the curve of college football playoff, and you happened to live within, you know, the, the local you know, metro area of Columbus or another major Ohio city? Like, okay, fine. You know, I'll... <laughs> You're welcome to the bandwagon. We've all done right. it. But, you know, I, I if you grew up, in, whether you went to school or not, if your family went there, you say that was, you know, you've got memories from growing up or at any point of, you know, that were really kind of formative for you as a fan, you know, then absolutely. Like, you, you're as much of a fan as anybody. There's plenty of people that went to the school that aren't fans. Correct. You know, that, that, that have stopped following the team, that – you know, couldn't tell you anything more than, you know, JT Barrett, is he still on the team? Is Cardale still on the team? Right. You know, <laughs> you know, look at the people that are quote unquote fans that are, you know, like we mentioned, roasting people for, or roasting Taekwon Lewis, you know, for Isaiah Prince's problems. Right. So, yeah, you know, I, anyone can look at another fan and say, Oh, well, I'm a more, more of a fan and make that argument. But in reality, you know, I don't have a problem with why you, why you chose it as long as it's sincere. Right. It's not, that's the biggest thing. The one exception that I will make to this 
uh, is that if you are supporting a team out of you want to be a contrarian or out of spite, Ugh. then then you then you do not get to be called a fan of that team. Because yeah. again, I've mentioned this several times in the dubcast. I'm from southwestern Ohio. I cannot tell you how many Michigan fans exist in Butler County and Hamilton counties and a lot of <laughs> other counties in that area simply because they're like, well, I don't like Ohio State, so I picked Michigan. And oh, the I Brady Hoke answer? Exactly. I think it's hilarious that Michigan actually hired a dude who literally was that guy. Like, I just, <laughs> it's the most, that is a really just crappy, douchey way to come across a fan. Like, <laughs> I just did it to spite other people. Like, well, cool. Yeah. Like, do you like not bathe to do that? Do you just like, like not wipe after you go to the bathroom? Is that, is that your way of spiting <laughs> oh, wow, other people too? Like, I just that I can't stand that. That to me yeah. is a, a very childish way to to come across it. But any other way, I'm cool with. Yeah, um, just just be sincere. Yes, be sincere. Uh, this is this next one's from Jason. Jason again, another great contributor to the Dubcast. Uh, he's got several questions here. He's got three here. Uh, first of all, are you surprised that Elfline season long issues with the high snaps uh, finally cost the team? Do you think that was a factor in the loss at all? I mean, it didn't help. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There wasn't any cost the team the game. It, it certainly was <laughs> I, not a. You know, I, I think this is part of the when you, you when you play with fire a little bit and you have a guy that hasn't snapped the ball for four years while he's been on campus and right. you know outside of a handful of times during in real game action, you know that's bound to happen a little bit. Certainly didn't help. I I wouldn't say it's something that I worry about though. Yeah. Uh, the second one that he kind of wants to ask about, and this is, this is something we've touched on a little bit. Why don't you think Urban called a uh, timeout? Why do you think you avoid calling a timeout before that field goal towards the end of the game? I think he wanted to save him. Uh, I think if you had said to him, Urban, you're going to miss this kick, but you're going to have all your timeouts, he would have been like, that's fine. Yeah. That's, that's what I need. I don't think he anticipated Urban you're going to have all your timeouts, but this is going to get blocked and it's going to go right into the hands of some <laughs> right. guy who's got a, a clear path to the end zone. See, maybe that's that his problem. Probably... Maybe he doesn't think in worst-case scenarios like every sensible <laughs> Ohio State fan does. Yeah. Well, I, I think he, <laughs> that's how he is who he is because he right. thinks of worst-case right. scenarios and focuses on them. But right. I, I, I think he wanted to save them, and it was a gamble he took that didn't pay off this time. Yeah, and then and the final one, and this is something you kind of touched to as we kind of wrap up the dubcast here. Um, Jason just kind of wanted to know a little bit about how the season's going to end, you know, with Michigan and Penn State and what we have to do uh, as Ohio State or what we have to look for, I guess, uh, for those teams in terms of the Big Ten Championship and whatnot. But I want to ask you, we kind of talked about this and with the playoffs teams and, and whatnot, but, you know, you, you have some experience, you have some knowledge <laughs> of what's going on up in Ann Arbor. And... Yep. I, what is the attitude there? I mean, how are they feeling? Are they are they, they Nicki style feeling themselves? Like, what's what's oh, going on? They are they are really feeling themselves right now. I can say that, <laughs> and I can't say I blame them. Um, you know, they're grinding really bad teams into paste as of right now. Right, um, and they're doing everything you'd expect, um, and they haven't had a lot to cheer about for a long time, and so I can't. Don't I don't don't make me try to have pity or understand. No, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I pity. Yeah, I'm just saying I don't blame them. Okay, that fair enough. said, they are. This they have been tortured by Michigan State over the past decade, and <laughs> yes. they are, they they feel like they are going to walk into East Lansing next week and just put the hurt down 
on Sparty. I, I mean, I they sincerely believe that. Um, the number of people I had to hear Jabril Peppers for Heisman conversation, <laughs> you know, they, they really, really think he's the next Charles. I mean, that's the th- that's the other piece of it. They all think, okay, what do I need to win a national championship? I need an average white quarterback <laughs> and that can throw a pro style ball and a Check. guy that and a defensive Heisman winner. Because that's Brian Gracie and Jabril Peppers. And they right. look at that and go, oh, here it is. Perfect. Right? And, you know, and so, you know, they're they're feeling high on the hog right now. I will say that I was up there last weekend. Um, you know, for those of you that may not know, I've, I've been pretty open about this in the past. My wife is a Michigan alum. I like you have and, to say this like she's the next murderer. Like she killed somebody uh, one time. Yeah. Or, you know she, what I mean? Ugh. She, she, I will say, I wrote an article about it a couple of years ago. She was not a big fan of the, uh, the comments. So oh, I'm sure she wasn't. Commentary. My wife, not a huge fan of yours, unfortunately. Um, no, you know, I, and I can't say I totally blame her, but, um, <laughs> but, um, you know, she's, she's, a, she's an alum. So we go up there and, um, you know, about once a year and, and, you know, try to, I try to enjoy myself. And I was, I knew Illinois was going to get smoked and they, this Illinois is so bad. Oh my goodness. Are they terrible? Um, they would have, I would certainly welcome them to the shoe this weekend as Ohio state tries to iron out their issues, but they might be at the point where they're so bad that even if you beat them by 70, it doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, that said, uh, being in a bar in Ann Arbor, watching Ohio state blow that game to Penn state, really just God. reinforced any feelings of hatred that I have for that school <laughs> and that, that fan base. That'll, st- that'll stick with me more than the Penn state game itself. Yeah. Cause I'll remember Ann Arbor for that loss. So they're feeling themselves. Um, they really think that this is their year. Um, I think until Penn state, they were scared of us and now they're feeling real, real, real good about their chances to win. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> I gotta tell you something. If nothing else, no matter how the rest of the season turns out, I desperately want Michigan to be undefeated going into the game. And while I do think they will probably come away with a win in that, God, that would be one of the most deliciously entertaining and satisfying wins that I think I might have ever experienced as an Ohio State fan. If they would mm-hmm. go in and, and beat Michigan as they are like right there, high on the hog, you know, trying to get back into national prominence, that would just be so amazing to me mm-hmm. because. My first Michigan game, the first Michigan game that I ever attended, I mean, I saw a lot on TV, obviously, but as a student, the first one I saw was 2004. And, you know, that was obviously kind of a down year, but people don't really realize, I think, how down people were on the team before that win against Michigan. I mean, it was like seven and four game or or something, or six and four, something like that. That was a rough year. It was. And, you know, Ohio State, I think, was like almost two touchdown underdogs to Michigan going into that game. Michigan was a, a top 10 team that were, you know, they were looking to, you know, make some real noise in the postseason, all this other crap. And I just remember how thoroughly Ohio State beat that team with for no real reason. I mean, it was like Troy Smith doing <laughs> back spins and all kinds of other bull crap that should not work ever. And it was the funniest thing I've ever seen on a football field, aside from Drew Tate getting sacked five times. But oh, that was great too. Yeah, but other than that, it was one of the funniest, most entertaining games I've ever seen. And I would love for Ohio State to recreate that. That win you just described, and in talking to friends, uh, you know that that are Michigan fans and everything, that win in '04 was what they really feel like 
got that. That's the one that got in their heads. That's the one <laughs> that, that Trestle had the black magic that, you know, all the other ones. It's like, oh, well, Ohio State was really good. They're national championship. They went to the, you know, they talk about the game in 2000 and 2007 where it was one versus two like that. I mean, they almost look at it like an achievement. Yeah. Right? Like they're like, oh, remember that game? We were one versus two. I'm like, yeah, we won. What, what's your point? <laughs> you know, and they're like, "Oh, we were number two. Remember that? That'd be cool. That was cool. Maybe that'll happen this year." Yeah, and, but in two thousand four, it's like Jim Trussell's a witch. Exactly yeah. right. Can't do anything about it. Right, and that—that's kind of—it's a little bit how things were in two thousand twelve too. Right. Um, you know, that first year, you know, a lot of people forget now. Hope took him to the Sugar Bowl. You know, he—he he had that team. You know, it seemed like on the rise with Denard and Devin Gardner and you know, a, a young Devin Funches and all this stuff. And, you know, everyone's thinking Michigan's finally, you know, back. And they had a, a little bit of a disappointing season. And Urban just came in and, you know, let them know right away. <laughs> not happening to my house. Right. <laughs> and and that, 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 that one hurt them too, I think, a little bit. And so, you know, last year was a little bit, last couple of years, it was kind of, okay, this team's really good weren't you know michigan's not as good and so it doesn't hurt as much to lose them because we get it but like you said if, if they're feeling themselves and urban's able to just slam the door shut that's going to have a, a similar he's a witch effect or he's a robot <laughs> all right so anyway uh kyle thank you so much for filling in tonight uh, we really appreciate it you did an excellent job and we'll have to have you on more often than like once every two years so <laughs> So thank you very much for coming on. It was really great uh, talking to My you. My pleasure. Yeah, and, and we'll, you know, you guys out there listening, please come back next week as well. Let's send in those questions, and uh, we'll just dissect what is sure to be a thunderous win against Northwestern, uh, making up for that loss last week. So we'll see you then. That's the Dubcast. All right, take care, guys.